Madison Square Garden following the Wizards' 110-107 win. They were up 15 with three and a half minutes left. They were down nine at the half. They ended up having a huge third quarter and made a big run, 20-4 run to start the third quarter, pulled away. It was not as close of a game as the uh, final score dictated, but uh, we'll get into all of that. I'm Fred Katz. I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I'm here with now Wizards After Dark leading third-time guest, Mike Vorkanoff, also from The Athletic. I'm like the John Goodman of this podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, you're like... Um, Alec Baldwin? You're like Alec Baldwin. Oh, there we go. Without face punching. Without, without any of the Alleged. Bad. Yeah. Without any of the bad, whether alleged or not alleged, Alec Baldwin stuff that comes with Alec Baldwin. <laughs> Although maybe you have pun- face punched. Like, maybe that's in there. I don't know. No comment. No comment. That's where I'm going to leave it at. Um... <laughs> uh, some some numbers before we start this off. Uh, where are the Wizards? Here we go. Bradley Beal had 27, eight boards, and, and, and seven assists. He was really good tonight. Did not hit his threes, but he was really good getting to the rim and had a couple of awesome spin moves. John Wall had 18 points, 15 assists. Marquise Morris with another strong game off the bench. 18 points on seven for 13 with seven boards. And Kelly Oubre had a making shots night. He went eight for 11 from the field. He literally did not hit the rim on any of his threes because he went five for six from three, and the miss was an air ball that was both short and wide left by about a foot and a half in each direction. Uh, but he was great tonight. I mean, when he makes his shots, he's good. Eight for 11, 21 points off the bench. Um, where are we starting? Where are we starting? Let's start with that third quarter run. Yeah, that was, that was big for the Wizards. The Knicks, who have actually been pretty good this year in the third quarters, were just like – a dilapidated version of themselves. Everything kind of went wrong. They weren't hitting shots. They were playing poor defense. You got to give it to the Wizards, man. They like they looked in sync that quarter. I don't remember if that was the quarter they had that crazy uh, outlet play where Marquise put was. it on the head. Yeah, I mean they played some good basketball. Like we haven't seen that in a while. Marquise said he he didn't know where that was going, but he I said totally he believe that. To paraphrase him, he said I didn't know where it was going, but I figured worst case is just the turnover, and then we play defense. <laughs> That's the mindset I want from everyone. Worst case, it's a turnover. Who cares? Ever. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, Markeith is – he will tell you he's not going to talk to you, but he will never lie to you once he starts talking to you. <laughs> so so those are the quotes that you end up getting out of him. Just, I'm going to transcribe it and, and tweet out whatever he said after <laughs> we do this. If you hear background noise, by the way, that's because we're legitimately in the hallway like in the concourse right now because we couldn't find a quiet enough place to podcast. So we're in the concourse at MSG right now with like – clean up people coming by yeah. and managers walking by so we're being you can hear bottles and we everything we might get right conscripted now. halfway through to finish the cleanup here at msg and the turnover that would be an honor that would be an honor the wizards defense in that third quarter just got way better yeah. like they they really locked down this is the thing they do they get out to these ridiculously slow starts they were down nine i think it was 61 to 52 or something like that at the half uh yes 61 to 52 at the half and they come out and they have that huge run. They outscore them by the end of the third quarter, 34-19 to 19 in the third. They lock down on defense so much better in the third. And I don't know why this is that they can't come out with that same defensive intensity early in games. They have, going into tonight, their defensive efficiency in first halves, worst in the NBA, 119. 119 points allowed per 100 possessions. Right. I mean, that's like... That's, like, so bad. That's, like, if it belonged to a team for the full season, would be the worst defensive efficiency yeah. of all time. That's how bad it is. Like, that is horrendous. And yet, in the second half, they're, like, literally 15 points per 100 possessions better. 
on defense. And it, it's it's just the same thing happened tonight. It's Do they just, have any explanation for it? Like, have, has no. anyone been like, we can't, we can figure this out? It's this. Yes, Scott Brooks. Yes, John Wall. Yes, Markeith. Yes, Bradley Beal. You know, they just might be one of those teams that doesn't start playing a hundred percent until they're down. I mean, they are. Like, I don't think there's a mic in there. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just like it's a weird thing where they just need to. The Knicks have been doing this lately too. They until Alec Baldwin punches them in the face. <laughs> You don't know how good you are until Alec punches you in the face. Uh, I'm wondering, those sounds are coming closer. I wonder if eventually they're just You want to just go- walk down the hallway now? Let's do a mid-podcast walk down. For, for those who are unaware, the, the extremely difficult equipment on this podcast is legitimately my iPhone. And that's how we record this. this ratty-ass uh, box score that you're holding. Which is ripped in half. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, they don't... They, they don't play at their peak intensity until either they get down or later in games or something happens. You know, they feel like they've been wronged. There's some sort of tech. Like, that, that's how they end up going at it. And in a sense, like, they, they don't necessarily hit first. They hit back. And some nights they get down not enough to where they're able to come back and they're able to play. I forget what the exact number is, but in the, in the majority of their wins this year... They've been down double digits. That's so weird. Uh, but that's like, I feel like I read all your stuff and I see all these quotes come out of Washington and they have this like under siege mindset and they neglect to mention that they're the reason they're under siege. They're, right. the, they're the ones who always like give up best position to the other team and just like are always under assault because they don't play any good defense or anything like that. It's just a, it's a weird way to be a team. I, I feel like at some point you'd want to fix it. I feel like if I were going to write a book about this season, it's a weird way to be a team. <laughs> would be a pretty good uh, title. Bradley Bill was really good tonight. He He's was real. He was really good. Yeah. He uh, that spin move he had when he got the layup on it would have would have been the play of the game if it weren't for that unbelievable. No idea where it was going. Save to Beal from Morris on the outlet. And then by the way, or break him breaking Noah Vonley's ankles. To yes. ice the game with a three for Wall. Yes, that was a heck was of a nasty. move. Uh, but Beal was great tonight. And one thing I think is interesting with this team, Wall is the de facto point guard. Not the de facto point guard. Wall is the point guard. And because of that, he's the guy with the Gaudi assist numbers. He's the guy with the point guard title and the leader title and all that stuff. But Bradley Beal can do stuff with the ball when you let him. And we're starting to see Brooks, and he did this last year, run Beal with the second unit. And he does this in these games when he plays Beal an extremely high number of minutes. Tonight he played 38, which is a little bit above his season average. But Beal's had games where he gets up into the 40s. He's had second halves where Brooks plays him 24 minutes. And when he leads with the second unit, like, he looks so good when he's put in those positions. And I think tonight was another one of those nights where it's like, when you let Bradley Beal do stuff, like, good things are going to happen. Well, I think there's, I mean, there's probably a case to be made that he's kind of like the more efficient player than John Wall. I mean, he is. He is the more efficient player. And part of that is he can make better decisions when he's on the ball, right, like than John Wall. And part of that is probably because he's also playing against second unit, so it's a little easier relative to everything. But they run really well when they put put Bradley Beal on the ball and let him create a little bit and let him make decisions and kind of – I don't know, be the alpha guy. But that puts him in a tough spot, right? Because John Wall thinks he's the alpha guy. And the numbers 
don't necessarily support that anymore. The contract does, and that's really the most telltale sign, right, for any team anymore is, like, who gets paid the most. It's a weird position for them to be in, and, I mean, if that's what Scott Brooks is doing, that's that's a good way to, to kind of split the um, split the problem in half by giving Beal his own time. Yeah. Where does split the baby in half come from? I didn't want to say it because that's a weird thing, right? Like, why would you split a baby in half? It is. It's a weird... It's got to come... throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's a weird idiom, too. It is. There... There are always these, like, very specific reasons for why these expressions yeah. came into existence. Like, pay through the nose came because back in the day in some society, I forget which one, debtors, like, people who were in debt, they used to come in and they would slice their nose open with a knife. And so that way it would scar and everybody would know you're a person who doesn't pay their debts. So what is the infanticidal society that those two idioms came from? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have no what idea. What kind of people are doing that to their children? I have no idea. That's a great question. And I For the next don't. podcast? Yeah. For my fourth appearance that, on this podcast? That would be like a good off-season podcast. Just like go through weird idioms and discuss where they're from. Yeah. Blow everybody's mind. That's like a past summer league one. Like you yeah, it's like an August. It's yeah. an August podcast. Yeah. That's like that's like after Summer League. That's when that's Wizards like, goes dark. Yeah. <laughs> after Dark goes dark. We can call podcast. it We can call it Wizards Go Dark. That's what we can call it. What do you think of Sadoransky? So every game he Thomas Sadoransky. Like so, it, more so, than any other team, I feel like. So every game Sadoransky, you go, you look at his line. So like tonight, this is his second game he started in a row now. He plays 24 minutes. He goes 1 for 4 from the field. He's 3 points. He has three assists. And every game you look at it, and it's just totally underwhelming stat line. And then you go and you look at his plus minus, and it's like the best on the team. Every game. And it's enough to where you have to look at it. You have to be like, this isn't a coincidence. Tonight, he does all that in a game the Knicks win by three. Sato is a plus 15. Best on the team. And it's like this in, he's like, I think, third on the team in plus minus. Um I think it makes sense with the reason why Scott Brooks is starting him. I want to know your Thomas Sadoransky thoughts. My Sadoransky takes off. Give me everything you can think of with Thomas Sadoransky. <laughs> he kills the Knicks. And he's just he seems like one of those guys who just uh, is a glue guy. Like, he just kind of makes things work, right? And that's a, that's a dumb cliche to throw out there because I hate cliches. But it just, like, it just seems that way. Like, you don't always necessarily notice him on the floor. But you see the plus minus because I noticed that too. I'm like, wow, he led the team in plus minus. I wasn't expecting that. And things just seem to go well when he's out there. And I, I think that's a guy, that's a good guy to have because if someone who can make it, um, who can facilitate play and doesn't demand a lot, is a is kind of an important important player to have on the floor, right? Because it it lessens the tension, especially for a team like Washington, which needs to feed a lot of mouths all at once. When you can have a guy like that who's just like happy to contribute. That's yeah. my take. Yeah, so every, every team, most teams, have that guy who's like the plus-minus king. Yeah. I remember when Mark Jackson was coaching the Warriors. This was in, like, 2013. And there was this whole narrative of, like, play Epe Udo. Play Epe Udo. He wouldn't play Epe Udo because Epe Udo's plus-minus was, like, every time Epe Udo came into the game, the Warriors would outscore whoever they're playing. Yeah. And he would not play Epe Udo. And there was this almost analogous way to show the difference between the Warriors front office at the time and where Jackson's thought process was and how that divide was growing. And obviously there were way more problems in that relationship between Jackson and the Warriors front office than just Epe Udo's plus minus. But it was a nice little narrative there. 
Uh, and there is no divide on Thomas Sadoransky. I think Scott Brooks thinks the same of Sadoransky as the rest of the organization. But every team, going back in time, has their plus-minus guy. I know Jeff Green leads the team in net rating right now, which is a ridiculous thing that he still leads the team in net rating. Uh, but I think this team's plus-minus guy is Thomas Sadoransky. I think, I think at the end of the year, people are going to be like, Sato's the plus-minus guy. And, like, Brooks has always struggled to get him minutes. He's a very different player when he's playing the three next to Wallen Beal compared to when he's in the second unit and he really gets to play point guard in a more true sense of point guard. When he can run, pick, and roll and really do stuff. And I think he's still getting comfortable cutting off the ball and that kind of stuff. I haven't decided if I'm going to write something on that this week. You're, like, talking about this story as, as we're going through it. Like you're writing it in your head. That's, that's what I use the podcast for. I'll, like, say things. I'll be like, oh, I should write something on that. And I'll write something on it three days later. Sometimes I say on the podcast that, like, oh, I'm going to write it at some yeah. point this week. Because I know if I give myself a mandate, like, I publicly said it and my listeners heard me say it, yeah. I have to write it. And I know it, like, otherwise I might not write it. I might get lazy. See, my podcast doesn't have enough listeners, so I can't really trap myself that way. I can oh. just say it and there's there's nothing When to I say I have a it. mandate, I mean, like, my mother oh, is going to hear me. Friend. Why am she she's, she's the one listener. Okay. So we're doing this for her right now. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Ennis Canner and the rest of the Knicks destroyed the uh, the Wizards on the boards. What was it? I don't like doing overall boards, but I don't have the defensive and offensive rebound rates in front of me. So we're just going overall boards. The Knicks had 19 offensive rebounds. So I think we can say that was a lot. Well, the the Wizards had 30 defensive teams. rebounds. And, so the Wizards, and the Wizards suck at rebounding. Yeah, especially without Dwight now, right? So, They're like, last in the NBA in defensive rebound rate. Like, even if you include Dwight's numbers. So when they don't... I said this on the last podcast, <clears throat> but you weren't on the last podcast, so I'll say no. it to you again. When they don't have Dwight, they have about... A, when Dwight's off the floor, they have about a 66% defensive rebound rate. Really? Which, if 66 belonged to a team, it would be the lowest since the 2012 Warriors. Nice. Yeah, like, they are... They, they could end up the worst defensive rebound team of the last seven, eight years. Yeah. I wonder, like, if they can sneak in as an eight seed, you don't need to give up a lot to get just, like, a center who can rebound. Like, this doesn't have to be one of those years where you give up. The Knicks will take a second-round pick for him, probably, for Kanner. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, I was, that's what I'm getting at. So you know where I'm going. Like, I wonder, like, look, Ennis Kanner doesn't defend. Neither do the Wizards. They're perfect together. Right. Uh Ennis Canner, I don't know what he would do in that locker room. I think he'd be, he'd be great in that locker room. He's a great quote. You covered him before. Like, he, yeah. he, he fits into anywhere really He's just well. a total goofball. Yeah. Though. He's the goofiest of the goofballs. Yeah. And. I feel like him and Kelly Oubre would get along really well. I could see There'd that. There would be like a buddy cop show that comes out of it. I could see that. I could see that. But if you if you put him into a combustible situation, I could see him... Setting off the flames. Even though... Yeah. From everything that I gather here, everybody really likes him. Yeah. And in Oklahoma City, everybody loved him. Everybody swore by him. Even though I know there were a lot of people in that organization that when he talked about politics were just like, oh my God, please stop. Because I know people were very, like, nervous for safety. Yeah. Like his safety and the team's safety, whenever that was the case. Um... But, yeah, I wonder how that would be as a day. I mean, there are tons of available centers because everyone's got centers and nobody wants centers. That's the thing. The Wizards right. need a center, but they have four. 
Yeah. They have Dwight, who's hurt. They have Thomas Bryant, who they're starting. He was fine tonight. Played played 19 minutes and was fine tonight. But he's probably not not at any point this year going to be a 25-minute guy. They have Jason Smith, who doesn't play. They have Yamahimi, who actually got some time today, but doesn't play. Uh, and everyone's got setters. You know, you can you can reach out to the Hawks and see what Dwayne Dedman would be worth or... Sure. Uh, you know, you can you can go other places and see if you want to bring somebody else over. Like there are centers who you can go out and get. I don't know. They they if they want to go for the eight seed, which I have a feeling they do, and that's not necessarily the wrong thing given the situation that they're in. You don't necessarily have to sell is at the lowest possible value with Wall, right. the lowest possible value with Porter, lowest possible value with a lot of guys on this team, and they have a lot of guys coming off the books at the end of the year, like. That's not necessarily the wrong thing. If they want to, like, they got to do something about the rebounding. Because the rebounding without Dwight is just out of hand. Well, like, if you get better as a defensive rebounding team, that helps your defense, right? Like, that ends possessions. That is That leads to fewer points. So, I mean, Cantor's not a great defender. Like, I'm not going to argue that he's even, you know, near below average. But he can rebound, and he ends possessions that way, right? Like, that lightens the, the load in that regard mixing all my cliches and metaphors now. But um, I, I think that could be a good contribution to them. Like, you get somebody who can score off the bench, too, if they want to play him that way. But it's anyone like that who can rebound. They just need someone to kind of, I don't know, get the ball to the other side yeah. of the court. Like they need to end possessions. It sounds so simple. They need to end possessions. And as Kenner, I think he led the NBA in box outs last year. That sounds about right. And him, he's, it was he's him. up there in defensive rebounding rate. It was either him or Adams. Because I did can't remember if I did a story or I just asked a question. I don't know. All my stories mesh together. But I I definitely asked Steven Adams about him and Canner being super close one and two because they're best friends. Yeah. I asked them about them being one and two in box outs. Either way, Canner is great at box outs. He's a great offensive rebounder too, which is good with guys who like, like to get to the hoop like John Wall because you get more opportunities for putbacks and that right. kind of stuff. Yeah. Expensive. He's expensive. It's a half season. Yeah, you got to add up salary. That's all I'm saying. Like you Do have the to Wizards give. Have any uh, expiring yeah. deals? They have big expiring deals. You got Austin Rivers' big expiring deal. Marquise Morris' big expiring deal. Jason Smith is a big expiring deal. I think. Uh, Will they trade Austin Rivers for Cancer? I have no idea. But it from seems a, that they can't lose Morris. No, no, they wouldn't. And Morris is better than Cancer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jason Smith and Rivers work salary wise. I think off the top of my head. Yeah, you could even trade maybe Dwight and Jason Smith together. Dwight's got a player option, option, though, so the Knicks uh, aren't going to do that. Yeah, that's bad. Knicks wouldn't do that. And he'll pick that up, probably. If he's out for long yeah. enough to where people are really worried about his health, there's definitely a realistic chance that he picks it up. Yeah. 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 To be clear, because whenever reporters talk about this stuff, people pick it up. This is legitimately us just, like, just shooting out. Yeah, yeah. Bullshitting. We are shooting out ideas. And it's based on legitimately nothing. In fact, this is literally bar talk. Because when we walked down the concourse at MSG, we are now leaning up against the bar. And I'm standing in between a Goose IPA and Blue Point Seasonal Tap. That's a and pumpkin then, beer. I didn't know Blue Point had pumpkin beers. Oh, well, there you go. So I am... We are literally having bar talk right yeah. now. This is not reporting that anybody is interested in any of this. Has that happened to you often? Where you're uh, just kind of BSing on a podcast and then you see something aggregated? Happened to me once. Okay. Yeah. I actually don't even remember what the scenario was. 
But it happened to me once, yeah. It happened to me once. That seems to be the complaint to jour of all NBA po- of reporters now, NBA reporter podcasters. Yeah. Well, you know what they say. We got to get on clutch points. It's the big thing. You don't get on clutch points? You don't know clutch points? I'm the most like unaware person of where clutch, my, my, <laughs> my stories go. Clutch points is one of those, like, uh, aggr- they aggregate everything. Yeah. Do, do I tally up clutch points every time I appear? Like, is there a counter? You're probably on clutch points a lot. Every reporter who, who does anything. I want clutch points to tally up points. For every <laughs> no, they're not. They're not up. actually points. It's clutch points. But I want, I want a point yeah. for appearing on it. Like, and then at the end of the season, we see who they aggregated <laughs> most and wins. I feel like who would win? It couldn't be Woj because Woj is an efficient reporter. Yeah. But he's not reporting something every single day. Right. So it would have to be like a beat guy. Who's getting on there for great quotes and that kind of stuff? Yeah, like you need a team that's highly combustible. It's probably like uh, like Dave McMenamin. Just like every time McMe- every time yeah. like LeBron says something, the Warriors guys are probably on there a lot. Yeah, but there's so many of them. Yeah, they probably switch. Around. And there are also so many good Warriors guys that you yeah. can just switch around. Like you can take Marcus Thompson or Slater or Ethan, yeah, or Tim, and that's literally just the athletic. What's like a crazy team that only has like one or two reporters? crazy team that only has one or two reporters i mean maybe okc honestly yeah because you got russ yeah maybe you got like brett dawson or eric horn down there kind of just getting on the yeah board a lot, and royce getting a lot of clutch points yeah <laughs> a lot of clutch points or what about you know who might be there this year who's that given all the drama um it could be john krasinski oh john leads the league in clutch points yeah that's it that's because of all the drama yeah. in minnesota this year it could be John. He's the Clutch Points MVP. He's reported so much of the Minnesota stuff. If you're listening Clutch Points, like, can you tally this up for us? Give us a leaderboard. That's all, that's all I want. Someone, If someone actually went on Clutch Points <laughs> and did that, that would make me so happy. Do we have anything else from this game that we want to talk? Otto Porter was really good tonight, by the way. He was, let me ask you he a question so from the Knicks point of view. Because I've been wondering about something. We talked about this on the Knicks beat. And we can't answer it because we, I feel like we follow the team every day and we see it. Is Emmanuel Moutier better to you? What did you think of him tonight? The um, shooting numbers were ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, he's better, but I don't think he's that great. Okay. Um, I watched the next a decent amount because I feel like I have to be able to. I have a, so I'm from New York originally, mm-hmm. and all of my friends from growing up are some variation of Knicks fans. And most of my friends from growing up are really big sports fans and are, like, huge Knicks fans. Yeah. And I have a group chat with a bunch of them, and they talk Knicks in it all the time, and I feel like I have to contribute. Mm. So I, I watch Knicks. I watch the Knicks more than I watch any other losing team other than the Wizards, obviously. And I think Moutier is better. Because my whole thing with Moutier was he had the traits, but he wasn't actually good at anything. So, like, when people were excited about, like, oh, you know, he's fast and he can jump. and He doesn't actually use any of those things to be good at basketball. Yeah. Um, I think he's a little bit of a better decision maker now than he used to be. And I think he's probably – I don't know what the numbers are, but I feel like he's a better finisher. I he's could a much be, better finisher. I could be wrong on that. Okay. He's, he's, like – last I checked, he was 76 percentile. In okay. At the rim. So, I'm right at that. Yeah. So my vibe that I get on that is correct. So I do think he's better. Like, I think he's an NBA player, but I don't think he's, like, a starting point guard or anything like that. Like, I'm still in on Frank. Uh, you know who's not in on Frank right now? David Fisdale. I know. Two straight DNPs. I know. <laughs> that's, 
that's kind of just the story of the Knicks right now. It's just like, what the hell is going on with Frank Nilakina? Oh, and they I get know. one or two like wins that hurt their their draft lottery, you know, odds. And then you're, and then you're reporting that Team X is interested in him, and Begley's reporting that Team Y is interested There's in him. There's a lot of teams asking around. The guy's not playing. Uh, you talk to like people from other teams, and the first question they give is like, "What's going on with the uh, the Knicks young players? Why aren't they playing?" My response is always like, "I'm not really sure." To be honest, like it's a very, it's a very confusing thing, right? Because they're playing, they're um, not that they have any actual like old guys on the team, but they're relative veterans a lot, like Cantor, Trey Burke before he got hurt, Mario Hazonia, like they're giving minutes to all these guys who are ostensibly not part of their long-term build, and it's it's an interesting decision making um, for the coach and also from like a you know a development standpoint. Yeah, it is weird because they they had stretches last year when Nilakina just didn't play yeah that was a different coach this is supposed to be the player development coach i know i know it is weird it is weird i don't know do you think he's a point guard like in the long term i think so he's probably like he's not gonna be the guy who breaks defenses down a lot but i think that's still his best position especially because of his defense (coughs) he's a i think he's if he gets the opportunity and he's able to play 28 plus minutes a game yeah I think he's an all-defense guy. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Like, he's that good. Yeah. Like, he can be one of the three to five best defensive guards in the NBA. He can be the best defensive point guard in the NBA. I don't know if he yeah. will, but he can. I agree. And if he even gets to be an average offensive player, you have a high-value asset, and you have a guy who can start on really Right, good you have teams. Patrick Beverly. Yeah. If he's an average offensive player, you have Patrick Beverly. Yeah. But I don't know if he's going to be that. And maybe he's, he even becomes a 3-and-D kind of guy. You know, kind of as an off guard. He's got to become the three, though. He's got to get the three. Yeah. But you remember, this guy's 20, right? Like, he's younger than a bunch of rookies in this year's class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, a Noah Kina podcast. Because I, I love Frank. Okay. Every every next game I do becomes a Noah Kina podcast. I love watching him play. I love watching guards who will just throw their body at any and everything. Yeah. That is so fun to me. I love watching those kinds of guys defend. I love watching Patrick Beverly defend. Like, I love watching those kinds of guys just go wild. Yeah. Um, bigs who do that are fun, but bigs just look more reckless when they're doing it. Guards who do it look more like, they just look more purposeful. Yeah. It's just more fun to watch. I can't, I could not tell you why, but it is just more fun to watch. I'm not even saying it's like, it's not always great defense when guys do that. Like, Eric Bledsoe does that. And Eric Bledsoe was a killer defender, and he's not as good as he was four years ago. But, like, Eric Bledsoe gambles like crazy, and so, like, he's not he's not an all-defense caliber defender. I think he could be, but he's not. Uh, but he's so fun to watch. I'd want a podcast that's just your favorite players to watch. That's a good August favorite? podcast. Yeah. Favorite players to watch. All favorite player to watch team. Yeah. You'd have to make rules. Like, can't be all-stars. Yeah. Because, like, then I'm, like... You could throw, like, one or two. That's, there. like, I'll take... No, that's cheap. No? Okay. Yeah, you can't just be, like, favorite players to watch. Uh, Giannis, LeBron. That's so fun. Because then my favorite players to watch are legitimately Giannis and LeBron. Like, Marquis Moore should be on that team for me. Really? I just I just love him. He's, like, a big bully. And, like, I, go, I love the guys who have that, like, don't fuck with me attitude. Yeah. He's, uh... He's always, like, he's always on the verge of getting into a fight with someone. And I like not knowing if this is the night this escalates. You know what's so funny? He's so soft-spoken as a guy. Yeah. Off the court. Like, he's 
He's one of those dudes. Everyone knows someone who's like this. Like, you probably have friends who are like this. I have a friend who is, like, so smart and he's not quiet, but he's definitely an introvert. Mm. And, like, he's, like, very measured, extremely logical, like, works for the ACLU, you know? Like, you put him on a basketball court and he is—he will slit your throat. <laughs> he is a maniac. He will curse you out. He will scream at an official. He's a maniac. And there are some people who are just like that. Yeah. They're just totally different when you put them on a basketball court. That's Keith, I guess. Yeah, that's clearly him. Uh, all right, uh, plug your stuff before we go. Uh, if you haven't already, read um, theathletic.com slash Knicks. I think that's the address. Read our Knicks coverage. Fred, I think, reads it a lot based off his secret Knicks-watching passions that I didn't know about. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter, Mike Vorkanoff. That's all I got, man. Yeah. Mike does great work. Uh, and remember, if you subscribe to The Athletic because you read Wizard stuff or because you read NFL stuff locally or you read um, you get all of us, man. national stuff, yeah, you can read all of it. You can read Knicks. You can read Warriors. You can read I was reading everything. about the USC OC search the other day. Trying to figure out where Cliff Kingsbury's going. Like, just drop in for the random stories. You don't even know. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I was a subscriber before I started working. Same. Because the Yankees coverage. Mark is, Craig. He is awesome. He's the best. In my opinion, no offense. He's the best beat writer at The Athletic. Don't even ask me to do another podcast. <laughs> he is so, so good. But I, like, was reading him for years because he was at Newsday. Right. And he was covering the Yankees for, um, what is it? The, uh, the no, for uh, in Jersey, oh, for, uh, Newark. Star yeah, yeah, the Star we'll, Ledger. We'll there the we Star go. Ledger, yeah. yeah, the Star Ledger. And uh, and he was so good there. He just he just kills it. He's so great. Anyway, The Athletic has great journalism. You can subscribe. And uh, I think it's very worth it if you like those in-depth magazine-like features. You can also subscribe to Wizards After Dark. And you can listen to the second best beat writer. At The Athletic <laughs> on three different episodes. You can give us a five-star review. Uh, you can uh, you can you can leave a review, too, if you're feeling... Say some nice things about Fred, man. Give him say, that love. Say that this is your second favorite podcast at The Athletic. That's what you can say. Um, I'll be back. I'm So the team is going, continuing its road trip. It's going to Atlanta on Wednesday and then going to Cleveland on Saturday and then uh, Indianapolis on Monday. I'm not going to the Atlanta game or the Cleveland game. I'm meeting them in Indianapolis, uh, but I will be podcasting after both those games I'm not going to. I'm just going to be doing it over Skype. Uh, I've guilted Ben Standing into coming on after the game <laughs> on Wednesday. Uh, and then Saturday, I think I'm going to be having a guest as well. I'm going to be doing that over Skype. So podcast no matter what after that, even though I'm not going to be there, just going to be over Skype. Uh, I will talk to you guys on Wednesday. See you.